Good morning. So I heard that Pastor Kenneth told the whole world that I lost my voice last week. He did, right? Yeah. And you know what happens when I have an extra week to prepare my sermon? It becomes longer. <laughs> now recently, uh, I attended a kiddie party uh, in order to uh, deliver a sermon. The uh, birthday celebrant was celebrating her first birthday. And so the sermon was for the parents and the guests. Now, I've not been to kiddie parties uh, for a long time, uh, perhaps because um, my children are now grown-ups. And I must say that kiddie parties have changed a lot over the years. So this one that I attended, they had uh, a game called One-Year-Old Grab. Okay, thanks to uh, Korean drama influence, you know, it's that game where the one-year-old goes and grabs an object, and the object is supposed, supposedly uh, symbolizes, you know, a career, a future career that the celebrant is going to, uh, to choose. And then, of course, there's uh, the uh, classic video. You can close the slide. There's a classic video that shows important moments of the birthday celebrant, beginning with the parents' gender reveal party. That's the very in thing now. We didn't have that, you know, when, when Dan was, was what, turned one year old. Uh, one year old. Uh, they, the video showed the day of the delivery. The, the video showed the growing moments of the celebrant. Now, if you've been to a, a kiddie party recently, please let me know what the latest additions to celebrating such birthdays they have. Now, it's Christmas season. Uh, Christmas season when we uh, celebrate the birth of Jesus. And so imagine that you have been tasked to organize Jesus' first birthday party. How would you have done it? Well, there will be no one-year-old grab. Why? Because Jesus came with the one single purpose of saving his people. And what would you include in your video? Well, you will include a gender reveal moment. In fact, a very early conception announcement, which was done by the angel. Of course, minus the fancy balloon and, you know, and the ribbons. You would present, first point, first slide, the manner in which Jesus was born, the reasons as to why he was born such, in such a manner, and the implications of his birth. Now, these important points about Jesus' birth are going to be presented also in today's sermon. So, first point, the manner. How did the Savior come to us? And so, Galatians tells us that when the fullness of the time had come, next slide, please, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so we gather from Galatians chapter 4 that God, He did not send His Son by beaming Him down to earth, you know, in the likes of Star Trek, if you're fans of Star Trek. He did not send His Son in the style of the Asgards, you know, in the way Thor was sent to the earth. Rather, God sent His Son through a supernatural birth. Instead, he sent his son via very the same way that you and I 
came to this world. The only difference is that his was a virgin birth. Next slide. And so we are told, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before the day they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And we read that from Matthew chapter 1. And so when uh, Joseph discovered his uh, fiance to be pregnant, I don't know how he discovered, maybe the morning sickness or maybe she told him, Joseph considered divorcing her quietly. But then we're told in Matthew chapter 1, next slide, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so scripture tells us that Jesus came to us through the virgin birth. Jesus came as a baby conceived in Mary's womb. And this miraculous conception was from the Holy Spirit. Now, the Gospel of Luke also affirmed this fact. When Mary was told that she was going to have a son, Mary was dumbfounded. And so she asked, how can this be or how shall this be? She responded to the angelic announcement. Why? Because since he's, she says she has no husband. And so what was the angel's reply? Next slide. Angel told her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so how did our Savior come to us? How did our Savior come to us? What is the manner by which He came? Well, God sent Jesus not by beaming him down to earth like Mr. Bean, no. He was sent to us as a baby, as a baby through a miraculous conception from the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin. Next point. And so what was the reason? Why through the virgin birth? See, the virgin birth of our Savior Jesus shows us that salvation is a supernatural work of God. It is from the Lord. It is initiated by the Lord. And it is accomplished supernaturally by the Lord. So you ask, when did the Lord initiate salvation? Well, from the very moment that the first man and woman sinned against God. We saw from Genesis that after Adam and Eve sinned against God, God immediately acted to save. Right? So what did we see? Well, God clothed the man and woman. Because, you know, after the man sinned, uh, he hid from God. Both of them hid from God and told God, well, I heard your voice in the garden, but I was naked and so I hid. So man and woman sinned gave them feelings of shame. And so God acted to save. Because we read that the Lord God made for Adam and Eve and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God acted to save. He made for Adam and Eve garments and clothed them. He covered their nakedness. 
The clothings save them from their shame. But that's not all. Sin, which seemed to have won the day, the Lord God announced the ultimate triumph that is to come. And we heard that triumph from his pronouncement of judgment upon the serpent who deceived the woman. God said, next slide, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This verse, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this verse has always been referred to as the first gospel, which was proclaimed immediately, immediately, after man and woman sinned against God. And the first gospel announces an offspring, an offspring who will be hurt because his heel is going to be bruised. And yet in the process of getting hurt, this offspring will crush the head of the serpent. And so we see that salvation is solely God's work from the onset. He initiated it. Now, friends, if you read Genesis with some care, you would note that God initiated salvation, that is, He covered man and woman with clothes of skin, that He promised a Redeemer who will triumph over the serpent. You will also note that God indeed initiated salvation even, even when there was no clear remorse or repentance expressed by the first sinners, right? I mean, you do not read of the first couple, Adam and Eve, being sorry for their sin against God. No. What you do read instead are them passing the blame to others. So Adam blamed God and said, oh, the woman you gave me. And Eve blamed the serpent. Oh, the serpent deceived me. You do not see any remorse nor repentance. It's just blame. It's just Shame. Yet God initiated salvation. And so it shows us that forgiveness and salvation has always been by grace. It is a gift of God. It's never our works. It's never our human efforts at all. And when God finally gave us the Savior through a miraculous birth, this shows us that salvation is solely the work of God, initiated by Him alone from the very beginning. And the virgin birth of Jesus highlights that our salvation is a supernatural work of God. The virgin birth is not a fluke. The virgin birth is not like striking a lottery. Why? Because around the same time, even Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary, even Elizabeth was on her second trimester. And um, Elizabeth, who was known as barren to everybody, she was on her second trimester. And so how did the barren woman become pregnant? Well, because God opened her womb. Because nothing, the angel Gabriel said, the angel Gabriel emphasized, nothing is impossible with God. And so salvation is solely the work of God. He initiated it from the onset. 
and He provides us the Savior supernaturally. Now, another reason why the Savior came to us via the virgin birth, it is in order to show that Jesus did not inherit the curse of depravity which clings on to all of us who come from Adam. Jesus did not have inherited sin. You know, Romans chapter 5, we just did our study from Romans. Romans chapter 5 tells us that sin, how did sin come into this world? Sin came into the world through one man who sinned against God, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Tells us that all who ever came from Adam came to this world with inherited sin. Every man fathers a son or a daughter with his sin nature. This is the way it was ever since Adam and Eve sinned against God. Sinners father sinners. All are conceived in sin. But for Jesus, it was different. His virgin birth showed that Joseph was not his real father. Joseph did not father Jesus. Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. And the gospel writers noted that well for us. So the gospel writer Matthew, for instance, records for us the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. So he shows us that Jesus comes from the line of, of Abraham, right? Next slide. So he tells us, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, dot, dot, dot. And you have a long list that ends with Jesus. And you look at the genealogy and you will notice that Matthew uses the phrase, the father of, the father of, the father of. But when you come to Jesus, we are not told that Joseph was the father of Jesus. Instead, we are told, next slide, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. And so we are not told that Joseph was the father of Jesus. Instead, Joseph was introduced as the husband of Mary. And so Matthew, the gospel writer, clearly did not tell us that Joseph was the father of Jesus. Instead, he was the husband of Mary, Mary of whom Jesus was born to. See, the gospel writer was careful also to inform us that though Joseph took the pregnant Mary to be his wife, the husband and the wife did not have intimate relations until after Mary gave birth to Jesus. So Joseph knew her not. That's what Matthew tells us. Until, is there a slide? Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Thus, there was a reiteration, an emphasis that Jesus' virgin birth was a virgin birth in the absence of a human biological father. Now, aside from Matthew, if you read the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel writer Luke also noted the same for us. All right? 
other than informing us of the angel's announcement to Mary that Jesus will be miraculously conceived in her womb, Luke also gives us uh, the genealogy of Jesus. And he does so by tracing Jesus' line back all the way back to Adam. And so unlike Matthew, who uses the phrase, the father of, Luke uses the phrase, the son of, because his genealogy is presented in reverse. And so he began with Jesus, because he's tracing back, and he wrote, is there a slide? Jesus, the son, bracket, as was supposed, close bracket, of Joseph. And so Jesus did not have a human biological father. Why? Because his conception was from the Holy Spirit. Yes, he comes from the line of Adam. Yes, he comes from the line of Abraham. But unlike Adam and all who came from Adam biologically, Jesus' birth was through a virgin birth from the Holy Spirit. So making him without the inherited sin that you and I, that we all have. And so the virgin birth of Jesus shows us that salvation is God's supernatural work, that our Savior is perfectly holy without inherited sin. I mean, recall the angel telling Mary that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy the Son of God. And apart from the virgin birth, why did Jesus still have to be born, you know, like all of us? Why couldn't He just appear or come down to us like Thor, you know, in the Marvel movies? Which leads me to my last point, the implication, what the Savior did. You know, I have a son who was born with a rare syndrome. Some of you know that because I mentioned it quite some time ago. It's a rare syndrome called BWS. And so when he was born, he had a large tongue. He couldn't close his mouth. He had partial cleft palate, and so he couldn't suck milk. And because, his, because of his large tongue, Anna and I, we had to make him sleep on his tummy against our chest lest he choke. And we took turns carrying him. Uh, we took turns also because of his cleft palate. We took turns to feed him 45 degrees inclined using a syringe instead of the usual uh, baby bottle. Now, by God's grace, Dan is now 24 years old. And if you were to ask him which part of his 24 years would he like to relive again? I am most certain, the parents are most certain that he would not want to relive his baby days. You know, it's hard enough to be a baby. All the more if you are a baby with health issues. Why is it hard enough to be a baby? Imagine all the poop, all the pee in the diapers, all the burp, all the vomit. You know, and they, when they burp on you, you may get some milk on your clothes. It's hard enough to be a baby. And so if it were possible to relive the past, you would not want to relive your babyhood days. 
You'd rather fast forward to and skip that stage. Yet our Savior, the Lord Jesus, came to us without hurling over that stage in life. He came to us born as a baby. And so what does that tell us? Well, for one, Jesus' birth is in a way God condescending. God condescending. God lowering himself to humanity. I mean, think about it. The Son of God who exists in eternity did not arrive to our world as a powerful, majestic, angelic adult being. He did not arrive like an Asgard God with a hammer. Mm. But the Son of God stooped down to our level, stooped down to humanity and came to us the very same way you and I came to this world, born as a baby, which means that he had to experience poop, pee, burp, vomit, and drool. And Jesus did not exempt himself from all of those. He went through all of them. And the circumstances surrounding his birth, not even close to ours. He was born presumably in a stable and had a manger for his crib. Imagine that. The Lord of creation stooped low to our level, beginning from his birth. His birth is God lowering himself to humanity. I mean, if you look at John, next slide, John chapter 1, it tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 14 tells us, and the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now these verses, they echo the creation account when we are told that in the formlessness of all things, God spoke things into being. The invisible God spoke things into being, and the invisible God who spoke things into being, He had become flesh, and He dwelt among us. So the superior, the Creator, came down, took our body, and lived among us, and limited Himself. In fact, He stripped Himself. That is why the Apostle Paul, next slide, describes Jesus as though he was in the form God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Sorry, close that slide for a while. And so the Apostle Paul told us that Jesus did not grasp equality with God, but rather he came to us in the form of a servant. He made himself nothing. He came to us being born in the likeness of men. There is that emphasis, being born in the likeness of men. You know, if you look at Jesus, it's not even a downgrade as we know it. You know, when I was a student studying, the Singaporean dream was attaining the five C's. You remember that? The five C's, right? 
And the constant buzz was the word upgrade. So everybody's upgrading something. Today, thanks to the sustainability movement and thanks to minimalism, people now talk of downgrade. So the upgrade is no longer the fascinating thing. It's now the downgrade. Downgrade means using less. Downgrade is selling your big flat and downgrading to a smaller unit and use less space. So they say it's more sustainable. Downgrade is selling your car and riding a Brompton instead. That's downgrade. And then live off your retirement fund. That is the definition of downgrade today. The creator's coming to us in human flesh is not even the downgrade as we know it today. It's not even a mid-career switch as we have heard. No mid-career switch like you give up your banking career and now decide to be an instructor in order to give back to society, but of course living comfortably from all the savings that you've amassed all the years. Jesus' coming was not even close to a mid-career switch as we know it. His coming is actually a demotion. His coming is a demotion, not a mid-career switch. His coming was not a downgrade, but a degrade. It's not a downgrade, but a degrade. Why did the Son of God condescend to us? Why did He stoop to our level, even lower? Because His coming to us sends a message. And this is when you that show that slide. His birth proclaimed a message. I am not a distant God high in heaven. I am a God who joins you, who experiences the hardships of this life, one who suffers with you. And so Jesus' coming in the flesh has a powerful message for us. The Son of God, because He came in the flesh, He experienced thirst. He experienced hunger. He experienced tiredness. He experienced pain. Jesus, because He was born as a baby, He had to learn how to walk. And if there are students amongst us, He had to study, right? And He had to work. And as a carpenter, Jesus must have had a sore thumb, accidentally hit by a hammer. He must have had specks of sawdust that, have, that has irritated his eyes. That is why he used specks and logs to teach about judging others. Jesus had flesh and blood just like ours. And so he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he is very much like us. Except Jesus did what Adam failed to do. Jesus obeyed. Next slide. Romans chapter 5 tells us, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. 
So both Adam and Jesus, they both experienced temptation. But Jesus, who is called the last Adam, the second Adam, Jesus obeyed and trusted God. You know, if you compared Adam and Jesus, Adam had it good, right? Life was good in the Garden of Eden. Adam came to the Garden as an adult. He did not come as a baby. Jesus, on the other hand, didn't have it that good. He came as a baby in difficult circumstances. Adam was tempted in the midst of all the good things, a garden that was filled with all good food. Jesus was tempted amidst trying circumstances in the desert without food and all. And so when the tempter came to Jesus, tempting him to turn stones to bread, to use his divine powers to satisfy his own needs, you know what he did? Oh, by the way, I was told that if you fasted for many, many days, you begin to have visual hallucination. You look at the clock, it looks like a cookie. You look at me, I look like, what do you call that stick? Pepero. Yeah. You begin to have visual hallucination. And so the rocks on the ground may resemble cinnamon buns. And now for the Son of God, a command will just simply turn the stones to bread. But Jesus answered, And he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And though he was hungry, he trusted that his feeding would come from God and never through other ungodly means. He would entrust himself to the Father's will. He would obey him and look to him for feeding. And so unlike the first Adam who gave in to the devil's temptation, Jesus resisted the devil's tempting. And, G- and the devil persisted with more temptations. You read, you re- you read it from the Gospel of Matthew. The devil says, do bungee jumping without the bungee cord. And God is going to send angels to, to rescue you. But Jesus replied, do not test the Lord your God. And then the last temptation was perhaps the most tempting. It was a temptation for Jesus to short-circuit the means to attain for himself the glorious kingdom, which means no more suffering, no more crucifixion, no more pain, no more death, no more long obedience in exchange for the worship of the enemy. And how does Jesus respond to that shortcut temptation? He says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you Sir, And because Jesus, though weakened, though hungry, tired, though tempted, still obeyed the Father, because He did that, He obtained for us who believe in Him righteousness. His obedience granted us eternal life because Jesus would go to the cross, give His life as a ransom, rescue us from sin, and grant us reconciliation with the Father. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, the Son of God, He now serves as our high priest interceding for us. And what kind of high priest is Jesus? Well, 
the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is one who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Why? Because he is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. The only difference is that he is without sin. Jesus was born in human flesh, took on our similar nature, this nature that experiences temptation. Jesus is one who has been tempted in every way, but he has triumphed. And so as our high priest, you and I can always run to him and find forgiveness when we have failed. When in our weaknesses we have fallen into temptation, we can always run to our high priest, the Lord Jesus, find mercy in him, find grace, and find salvation. In closing, if you are one who practices gift-giving this Christmas, surely you will know the sort of trouble that uh, one has to go through to give a gift, right? It's very troublesome. That is why there are many excuses for those who uh, wish no trouble for themselves. So I've seen memes and excuses like, it's the thought that counts, not the gift. Or get this, I do not know what better gift to give my wife since she already has me. <laughs> now, because gift-giving can be troublesome, we try to avoid that. Yet, it did not deter God from the trouble of giving us the gift of our Savior. The trouble of being born into this world grow up as an illegitimate child in the people's eyes, experiencing human temptations, living off the offerings of the people, and finally giving his life as a ransom for sin in order to redeem for himself the church, forgiving their sins and reconciling them, reconciling us to the Father. So indeed, praise be to God for His indescribable gift. Because the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are told, though He was rich, yet for our sakes He became poor, so that through Him we might become rich. Let us pray. We give thanks, Father, for Your indescribable gift in the form of your Son, who took on human flesh and dwelt among us. For the trouble that he went through, and the most trouble, troubling of them all is the giving of his life so that we can be forgiven and reunited to you. We praise you. We give thanks to you for your indescribable gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.